Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I'm your host, Bill Real. Welcome back as we uh, spend a few episodes diving into the historical Jesus. If you've missed the uh, first few episodes, you would have missed an intro in the book of Mark. You would have missed an episode on the gospel, the Q gospel, and you would have missed an episode on Matthews. Please go back and listen to those three first. Today we're going to be spending time in Luke. The, the gospel of Luke is the last of the synoptic gospels. Again, synoptic meaning Matthew, Mark, Luke. Uh, these three gospels being very similar in places, uh, copied word for word segments in these three books. Would have been written between 80 and 90 AD, maybe as late as 100 AD. And we know it still was being revised into the second century. The, the author of Luke is also the author of Acts. Whether the person's Luke or not, we don't really know, though tradition has Luke as the companion to Paul. But Acts, this idea of Luke-Acts, and sometimes you'll see people connect these, so just be called Luke-Acts. He's the only author to write a sequel. All the other authors write their gospel, and they're done, and they're out. Luke writes, whoever the author of Luke is, he writes the gospel of Luke, and then he also writes the book of Acts. And, and we know this. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. This is just a, a commonly known thing, agreed upon essentially by everyone. There's no surviving first editions, just like with the other uh, Gospels. The earliest full manuscript we have is also 4th century here, just like it was, I believe, with Matthew. Uh, Luke is almost assuredly a Greek. Luke is much more articulate in his word choices. He's obviously a much more smart uh, informed, educated, trained in in some ways maybe of of how he develops word structure and uses uses certain words in certain places. Mark uh, again gets scriptures very wrong. Matthew seems to be much better, but Luke comes in and he's he's just a much more articulate uh, writing style. Uh, he portrays Jesus as a prophet. And often like the new Elijah. We talked about how Mark does none of that. Matthew portrays Jesus as a new Moses or a new David. And then Luke comes in and portrays Jesus as, uh, uses the word prophet or terms that refer to prophets much more often and refers to Jesus as kind of a similitude of Elijah. And remember though, the Jewish people are expecting Elijah to come back. It's, it's the reason they leave a chair empty. Um, at, during some of their holidays, they, they have a chair empty waiting for Elijah to come in. And we also should keep in mind that while Luke is borrowing from Mark and likely this Q gospel, that he is unaware of Matthew. And so he's writing his gospel, Matthew's somewhere writing his gospel, and these two are somewhat in the same time period and unaware of each other. One of the things that comes in here is Jesus's baptism at the hands of John the Baptist. We should kind of say, like, like so Mark shares this idea that Jesus goes to John the Baptist and, and Jesus is baptized by him. And we got to frame this a little bit. John the Baptist would have been the essentially a leader of a fringe group within Judaism. Um, he would have had followers. He would have been teaching his followers what the kingdom of God is like. Would have been very much kind of this apocalyptic preacher in some ways, very similar to certain aspects of Jesus. Jesus apparently at some point goes to him and is an understudy of John the Baptist and at some point is baptized by his mentor, 
John the Baptist. And, and Mark kind of deals with this straightforwardly. Matthew and Luke approach it differently and, and there's a historical thing. It's, it's, it's called the criterion of embarrassment. And what it means is one of the ways we can get at what is historically true is that when somebody recounts a, a narrative and they share something that obviously is embarrassing to them, there's a much more likelihood of that uh, historical instance being true. And when we look at the baptism of Jesus at the hands of John the Baptist, this John the Baptizer, John the Immerser, there's lots of ways in which to see this language being translated. There's this idea that the gospel writers have to kind of work out of this conundrum of Jesus submitting himself to John the Baptist, Jesus having a mentor when he's the Messiah, Jesus being the understudy of someone else, this has to kind of be done away. And so when you look at the uh, the narrative of the baptism, of Jesus' baptism in each of the Gospels, you'll see it kind of treated this way, that it's, it's almost an embarrassment uh, for them to to have to deal with this it's it's embarrassing that Jesus is submitting himself to John the Baptist and so there so each of the gospel writers is trying to figure out some way to reframe it either either don't mention it at all which happens in one of the gospels have have John telling Jesus no 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 I have need of thee and again each of these gospels deals with it differently the trouble is that Mark has it in there and now these next three gospel writers have got to figure out a way to reconcile it. And so this this uh, historical uh, mechanism of judging accuracy, historical accuracy, called the criterion of embarrassment, comes into play with John the Baptist. And so one of the things we can we can say with some level of surety is that Jesus really was baptized at the hands of John, because these writers would like nothing more than to just keep this completely out. And so sometimes you don't mention the name of John. Sometimes you have John telling Jesus that I have need to be baptized of thee. Sometimes you have John recognizing that Jesus is the Messiah in the midst of the baptism. And these are each approached differently by the different gospel writers. But it should just be understood here that there is some historical certainty that Jesus was baptized by John, but that the relationship of Jesus to John the Baptist is a lot messier than what the gospel writers are portraying it. And the way in which they're framing this is likely not the way it actually occurred. And and again, this is where the historical scholarship takes us. And so there may have to be some shifting in how we, we understand this part of Jesus's story. Again, just hitting on this, Luke has the richest vocabulary. He's of all the four gospel writers, he is the most professional historian of the four. Um, he's well-versed in the political milieu. He's adept at crossing cultures and choosing his words carefully. And he's also very familiar with the scriptures that he is using in his narrative. Luke is aware that there are other accounts. He tells you so. This gospel Luke. And again, we don't know the author is actually Luke. But we're referring to him that way just to keep this from as uncomplicated as possible. So Luke is aware that there are other accounts. He tells you that he's going to sort through these accounts and he's going to ensure that his account is more accurate and more complete than the other accounts he has before him. And, and we should like see there's some real, 
Um, when we talk about Mormonism, we talk about the Book of Mormon. For those who are familiar with the term uh, chiasmus or chiasms, um, this idea of chiasmus or chiasmus, this poetic structure that's found in the Book of Mormon, that there there's some of these kinds of cool, not exactly that, but something cool like that happening in the Book of, of Luke and crossing over into the Book of Acts. And so... In the gospel or the acts of Jesus, Luke presents these things. He says the, he talks about the presentation of the child Jesus at the temple in Jerusalem. In the book of Acts, he also has the apostles early on visiting Jerusalem. Second, in the gospel of Luke, uh, Jesus is 40 days in the desert. In Acts, there's 40 days before the ascension. In the gospel of Luke, Jesus is in Samaria and Judea. In the book of Acts, the apostles go to Samaria. In the gospel of Luke, uh, Jesus is in Decapolis. In the Acts, uh, right afterward, the apostles go to Asia Minor, which is in the same area. Uh, in the gospel of Luke, he next talks about Jesus receiving the Holy Spirit. In Acts, you then have Pentecost, or Christ's followers receiving the Spirit. In the book of Luke, Jesus preaches with power, the power of the Spirit. In Acts, the apostles preach with power of the Spirit. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus heals the sick. In Acts, immediately after, the apostles begin to heal the sick. In the Gospel, there's the death of Jesus. In the Acts, there's the death of Stephen. In the Gospel, the apostles are sent to preach to all nations. In Acts, Paul preaches in Rome. And so there's this um, obviously intentional way in which Luke is framing both his gospel and the book of Acts so that they contain a similar order and similar events in that order. Uh, Luke uh, has Jesus hanging out with and talking to Pharisees while Matthew has him condemning them. And it should also be noted that Luke here also has a one-year ministry for Jesus, that there's one Passover and you can kind of follow along in these Gospels, and there's hints to other festivals and, and uh, celebrations occurring in, within the Jewish custom. You can see these in these New Testament books. And it becomes quite apparent when you understand the Jewish cultural background and can see these clues in the text and understand what Passover is and how often it occurs and what the other uh, festivals are. For instance, I think there's one regarding the tabernacles the, or tent-making festival. Uh, when you begin to see these festivals or holidays within the Jewish religion, you begin to recognize that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have Jesus performing his ministry within one year, a little longer. Some experts are saying around 70 weeks. But that becomes very different when we get to John. That essentially does it for the book of Luke. We ended up even being quite uh, shorter than than the other uh, episode on Matthew just before. The next episode on John will be just a touch longer than these two. Uh, and so I'll see you there. May the Lord uh, warm your shoulders. God bless you. And thank you. And, and I hope you're really learning here uh, about how the Gospels were put together. And then we'll connect it at the end on what it, what it really means in terms of the historical Jesus. Uh, thank you and God bless.